Hello and welcome back to the Outering Tinnitus podcast. This is Frida and I'm your host and this podcast is all about the tinnitus science and the strategies and tools that I construct interviewing world-class tinnitus scientists but also some of the people I have worked with over the years and it is a podcast that is designed to help you um, manage your tinnitus in the best way possible to help you to habituate to your tinnitus in the long run. Um, but it's also a podcast and it will continue to be a podcast in future. Um, but uh, today I have a big announcement to make. I am super happy and I can tell you a little bit why I'm so happy um, this episode was recorded quite a while ago already, but due to the fact that we negotiated circumstances a little bit um, and the news that I have to share with you today, uh, very, very positive for me, um, also for the future of the podcast, is because I managed to win the Neuromod, the Linear Company, as the sponsor for this podcast. I'm super excited to have Linear, so Neuromod, the company, and Linear, the Tinnitus uh, device, um, to have them as a sponsor on this podcast because I think we do share um, similar values of believing in the science behind tackling tinnitus and managing tinnitus successfully. Um, as you will hear, this episode is also on their latest clinical trials. The study is called 10A2. And you will hear why the science-based studies that they concluded and they did recently have brought out very positive results. And one of the major reasons why I chose to have Lanier as sponsor of this podcast um, is because I really believe that they have such a science-based approach. Um, the interview that I share with you guys today with the CSO, so the Chief Scientific Officer, Hubert Lim, he was on the podcast before, but I just think he's a terrific guy. He devote, devotes so much time to studying tinnitus and neuromodulation and possible benefits of tinnitus treatments. And yeah, overall, I just believe that there is a very, very big benefit for the podcast um, to have a science-backed uh, sponsor to the podcast to allow me to have even more world-class performers, tinnitus science experts in the field to be interviewed uh, on this podcast to allow you guys to learn the best strategies, tips and tricks and tools in order how to manage your tinnitus. But just a little bit of background again before we get into the episode, into the very, very first introductory ad um, for the Linear uh, sponsorship, uh, which is actually very short. So it's not supposed to be bothersome. I'm not going to modify anything. Um, my integrity is fully kept. Um, I'm devoting this podcast to really doing myth busting and to interviewing uh, people from different fields of tinnitus and that is going to stay that way. So I really appreciate the way in which Lanier decided to support without uh, taking influence. Um, they're, they're fantastic people and it's really, really nice to see them as sponsors. So just to give you guys a little bit of background again to um, what the story with the Linear is, um, the Linear was obviously the, the device that was uh, developed from the company called Neuromod. Uh, the Neuromod devices company was, was founded in 2010 to serve underserved patient populations with the neuromodulation technology. Uh, the very first condition Neuromod was focusing on as you guys know, is a treatment intervention for tinnitus. Um, and since 2010, Neuromod have carried out significant development and research, including a pilot study, a safety and feasibility study, as well as two large-scale clinical trials to validate the safety and effectiveness of their technology for the treatment of tinnitus. We're going to be talking about the second uh, large-scale clinical trial today, which is going to be very interesting. And recently, an independent analysis of real-world patients also showed very similar results to the large-scale trials. Um, it's fantastic to see that they have already received a CE mark regulatory approval to make their technology available across Europe. Um, they have so far established a clinic in Ireland to define the clinical best practices and protocols in order to partner with tinnitus specialist clinics in other European countries. And as you guys know and can also see in the podcast picture, Lanier is the name of their first tinnitus intervention device for tinnitus. But without further ado, I want to play our normal intro that is going to stay. And uh, afterwards, the very first short, small Tinnitus Linear ad. Enjoy the podcast, guys. Hello. 
Hello and welcome to the Outering Tinnitus podcast. This is Frida and I'm your host. This podcast is all about the tinnitus science and what you can do to live a better life despite the ringing. This episode is brought to you by Linear, an evidence-based treatment for tinnitus which has been shown to improve tinnitus symptoms in large-scale clinical trials and real-world patients. Linear retrains the brain by playing soothing sounds and providing mild electrical stimulation to your tongue. It's now available throughout Europe and its latest clinical trial results were recently published in a Nature Scientific Journal. To find out more about Linear, where it's available and read about the research behind it, visit www.linear.com forward slash outring. That's L-E-N-I-R-E dot com forward slash outring. Yeah, hello and welcome back to the Outring Tinnitus podcast. Today, I'm super excited for the second time on the show, um, Hubert Lim from Neuromod, the linear company. And we have some exciting, or better, he has some exciting news to share with us. So very excited to have him back on the show. Um, Hubert, welcome back to the show. And maybe for those who haven't been able to listen to the previous episode, just give us a brief introduction of where you come from, what you do. I know it's a lot, but... Uh, uh, if you want to give us a brief introduction, that'd be fantastic. And then later on, we'll get into the latest developments that are coming from you guys. And I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, th thank you, Frida, for uh, having me again. Uh, it was really fun last time, and it was an honor to be on your uh, podcast. Uh, so appreciate the invite, you know, the second time. Uh, so for your listeners, I'm a professor of uh, otolaryngology, so ENT or German Hano. Uh, listeners, um, and uh, also biomedical engineering at University of Minnesota. Uh, there, I do quite a bit on uh, brain and nervous system stimulation for hearing technologies, but also pain and immune modulation, things like this, uh, all sorts of different technologies. But uh, from uh, that research, I was quite heavily involved with uh, tinnitus treatments and using what we call bimodal neuromodulation uh, stimulating two modalities, in this case, sound and body stimulation or tongue stimulation. Uh, also, I'm serving, as many of you know, your audience may know, um, as Chief Scientific Officer of Neuromod Devices. And there I am overseeing a lot of the scientific and clinical efforts uh, for building the evidence for Lanier, which is the bimodal treatment for tinnitus from the company, uh, and also uh, working towards the regulatory uh, aspects to you know, bring this across the world, but of course in the US as well, FDA approval. Uh, it's already available in Europe as you already know and your audience already knows. Uh, and uh, there, um, I've been there since 2017. Um, you know, I, I actually moved to Dublin uh, as a sabbatical uh, during a short period of time and, and I've continued to work with the company there. So that's a bit about my background. That's fantastic. And um, for everyone who uh, wants to get to know a little bit more about how you got into the field of tinnitus or the many other expertise expertises that you have, um, we can uh, warmly invite and welcome them to listen to the previous episode because uh, Hubert, you've been in, been on this podcast before. Um, and today, maybe um, we're going a little bit more into the technicalities, maybe. Um, it's also interesting and uh, maybe it's uh, not too late, not too soon for for me to share that um, you guys have uh, interesting results from um, a trial that uh, you want to, or that we are want to talk about today. So uh, last time, again, for all the uh, listeners, um, if you want to get a little bit more deeper into the background of uh, what Hubert um, is doing and, and what he did in his, in his career already and um, what the solution currently looks like, uh, that's in the last episode. But today we really want to get into the study results that you guys have to share. So maybe, uh, uh, Hubert, you can share with us um, what were the, 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 yeah, what were the, the initial uh, goals of the studies or maybe lay some groundwork for us in explaining what you guys have been accomplished, uh, accomplishing in the last uh, few months. Sure. So for your um, you know, listeners, we had run a large scale study previously uh, called TENT A1. Um, and in there, we had uh, positive results that we published in Science Translational Medicine. Uh, and, you know, we had in that just a, just a brief overview, we had uh, three treatment arms uh, where we had bimodal stimulation in each arm. And uh, the treatment was 12 weeks long. And we had a large number of individuals, uh, 326 participants, and we were able to assess their um, improvements in tinnitus systems. 
symptoms using various outcome measures that are pretty standard. Um, for your audience, there's something called the tinnitus handicap inventory and also the tinnitus functional index. So we use those, both of those. <clears throat> and we're able to show significant improvements in symptoms during that 12 week period uh, and a, a high number of responders. And then we also track them. This is the, the difficult part, but we pulled it off was to track them for 12 months after the treatment ended. And we were able to uh, assess their improvements. And we had a high percentage that still had sustained you know, benefits out to 12 months uh, and, and no you know, serious adverse events. And the you know, risk profile benefit to risk was quite good, quite strong. Uh, so that was encouraging. Um, but of course, uh, for that study, <clears throat> for your audience, you know, our approach is uh, you can sense it, right? You have the sound, uh, you hear it, and you have the tongue stimulation. You can feel it on your tongue. And so the way we had to design, um, you know, was to have these three arms with different features, and we call it like an active control design. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't see significant differences between the arms, um, but we did have different features, uh, some that were similar, but others that were different. And we had done a, you know, some, some different bundled parameters in each arm because it's difficult to do so many parameters, right? Because you need mm -hmm. then 30 right. arms, right. you need probably 5,000 people to show you know, significance. So we had to Got kind it. of bundle up different features. Okay. So uh, that, that was one of the things that we were further interested in and you know, kind of what features were contributing to the therapeutic effect. You know, that was a big question that we couldn't fully answer in 10A1. <clears throat> and then... Uh, the other question that we that came up was that, you know, in that first study, what was unique, we actually tracked the participants, um, you know, for the first six weeks and then the second six weeks of that 12-week treatment period. And we found that uh, most of the benefit actually happened within the first six weeks. And then, you know, during the second six weeks, we generally had a plateau effect, a flat, you know, there wasn't that much improvement. Right, right. And, for those of you who are familiar with neuroscience, plasticity, kind of uh, changes in the brain, well, in those situations, it's not uncommon um, that you could drive changes, but that those changes end up becoming less and less effective over time because your brain adapts to it. And mm -hmm. for, for the nerdy people like me, there's things that you, people may know like adaptation or habituation or even uh, a, a word's called like mismatch negativity where you know your brain always likes to respond to novel things. Uh, so one of the thoughts was maybe because we gave the same stimulation paradigm for the entire 12 weeks, you know, the brain adapted. So we thought maybe we could change it up a bit midway and give them something different during the second half and we could break through that plateau effect. So that was a second motivation. Um, and then finally, the third one was, you know, whenever you're doing clinical trials, it just feels good and builds up confidence to know you can repeat the results right. again in another right. large scale study. So right. we wanted to just see, could we do it again, large scale, efficacy, safety, you know, satisfaction, tolerability, all these questions. And so those are the three big objectives of right. this second study. Um, just for full transparency, like we did with the first study, we wrote a protocol paper that describes all of this and that was published um, you know, uh, for, for the study. And then we followed up two years later with the results, which was just recently published in Nature Scientific Reports. Um, you know, just a, a few weeks ago. So, so that's the objective. That, that was the premise of the study. And um, we were able to enroll about 100, uh, we enrolled 191 participants. So also a big study. And, nice. uh, you know, I'll pause there. We can go into, you know, some of the details, um, you know, uh, if you, uh, you know, that you could guide the questions that you may have. Yeah, yeah, um, happily, happily so. Um, you mentioned, um, and, and this is just a bit of a, a follow-up question. Um, first of all, uh, if you say you have to like sort of bundle uh, the, 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 the certain path or arms of the study into uh, certain groups of people, um, was that fairly easy to do? Or is uh, you as a, as a scientist, you really like, ah, but I could leave these, but then I don't have that. And I, I, I imagine that's a very tricky and difficult situation to do. So it's, it's almost like a little bit of a personal question is, as well. Um, how, did you, how did you manage to do that? Or do, do you do it as a group of, of people? Or, yeah. or how, did you, how do you come to a solution criteria there? Yeah, very good question. So um, it's actually a tough, tough problem as you brought, as you, you're alluding to. Um, because we have lots of parameters. You've got tongue components, you've got the right. sound components, you've got different sound components, you've got delays that you can change. <clears throat> so we had to base it on 
um, what we thought we knew from 10A1 or, you know, think we knew from 10A1 mm-hmm. a study, and this is also called 10A2 is the second one for the second. Yeah. Um, we had to base it on literature, uh, you know, the field, the research that had already been done and some things from my lab, Animal Lab. Uh, and so from that, basically, we, we saw that in the first study, 10A1, um, you know, they had different tones, different delay patterns, also some background, but all of the stimuli, all the three arms from that first study had background noise, this ongoing background noise. And we know from individuals with maskers and things that people say that that background noise is effective for them, right? And we know sound therapies can work. Um, you know, we're not trying to say that sound therapies don't work. We know that sound therapies can work. You know, our approach is just we want to amplify. I think we talked about this last time in your episode. We yes. just want to amplify the sound therapeutic effects and make it more sustained and more, mm-hmm. more effect, powerful, right? Um, so that was a question. Can we remove that sound background sound component? So, so that was one way that it, we made a decision to have one arm with the background noise and another arm without the background noise, right? The other thing is we know from literature that the brain will act differently for different delays. Uh, this was results in my lab and Dr. Susan Shore's lab and just, you know, many tens, 20, 30 years of previous neuroscience literature of delays mattering between different inputs. And so we thought that if, you know, we'll use what our standard routine, you know, clinical parameter is, it's called PS1 for your audience who may have already gotten the near or may be interested in, that's our standard go-to paradigm that most people get. Um, we, we use that for, um, you know, stimulation for one of the arms, uh, but we want to change it up. So how do we change it up? We don't want to change it too much. So we also thought adding delays, we just kind of added some uh, variation in the delays and patterns. And that made sense, you know, that kind of mixed it up for the brain. So right, that, that's, right. you know, how we decided there. And then the other things, you know, you can't ask too many questions because then you, you're not powered for the study. You need to have enough arms to show you know, statistical significance. So what we did was we had two arms that we basically made with large number of participants in each arm. And they're randomized to those arms. One had the standard with background noise. The other arm had no background noise, right? We want to see is this background noise really a critical feature um, where this second arm just had tongue and tones, right? Uh, stimulated together. And so then we were able to present this and the individuals are blinded. Um, we didn't know which would be better. You know, maybe people don't like the background noise, you know, maybe, or they do, right? So right. we were looking to see if there was a significant difference. So it was a controlled study that we did. It was a randomized, blinded, controlled, because they didn't know which was the therapeutics. Both were getting bimodal. Uh, and, and it was controlled in the sense that, like, they were both getting, uh, uh, you know, arms, but you could think of them as different arms, right? So this is how we ran the study. But there's other questions we're interested in. So we actually added a third and fourth arm it wasn't powered, so we call them exploratory arms, right? And those arms, we did some cool things that we could explore uh, without having to apply so many individuals to those arms. Now, we can't say much. We can only say trends because they weren't powered. Um, right. But in one of them, we used um, um, more than just a tone. We used this colorful tone pattern, uh, uh, multi-tones, like a chord kind of stimulus, because we thought maybe if it's more enriched with different tones, it could maybe drive more plasticity. And then we also had an arm where we just did uh, sound stimulation and then we added the tongue after. So these are things that we we could start to look at. So then to answer your question, I mean, a lot went into this, uh, but we described every single one of those arms and the parameters in our protocol paper and in the results paper in the appendix, if people are interested. Awesome. And uh, now the the, the, the big uh, $1,000 question, so to say, um, what were the results? So what did you yeah. what did you find out? What were the, the most interesting and, and, and most uh, the results that most maybe surprised you um, positively, negatively? What did you guys find out? Yeah, so I have to say we were quite happy because uh, we actually did get uh, better results uh, okay. in this study than in the 10A1. I was already happy with the 10A1 results, but you know, the 10A2, we were able to actually um, get higher percentage responders and uh, greater effect sizes, right? Um, and we did break through, through that plateau effect. So that was that was positive, that, that was nice. encouraging. I'll get to the numbers. Um, the, the part that uh, I was hoping we'd see some differences, but we didn't was the between arm where we saw that with both of them had quite large improvements in, okay. in benefit. 
Um, but the two arms with or without the background noise, we didn't see significant difference. I mean, there was a little bit better in arm one with the background noise, but honestly, it's within the noise, the variance. You can't really say that there's a significant difference. Um, so from, from all that, we could at least claim that you don't need the background noise because some individuals were worried. They actually have us turn off or take out the background noise because they don't they don't like it in the clinic. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we, we can be confident now that they're not getting subpar, you know, suboptimal stimulation or treatment. Right. So so the, the idea there. Um, so, you know, the key findings basically was greater performance overall than what we saw in 10A1. Um, you know, for example, like if you look at THI, we had an average 14 points for your audience who doesn't know these numbers. You yep. know, in 10A1, uh, seven points is considered like a clinically important difference, meaningful difference. And we had yeah. double that um, with bimodal nice. stimulation in 10A1. But in 10A2, we had almost about 20. So we, we, we even further got, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50%, depending on the arm, um, further improvement by changing the stimulation parameters. So that was encouraging. Um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it looks like it's really about the tones and the sound, uh, tongue stimulation with the tones. And I will say that in our exploratory arm where we did remove uh, the tongue stimulation, we had about half of what we saw with bimodal stimulation. Um, and it wasn't until you added the tongue component in that you got doubled back to what you get with bimodal. So we do believe it's critical. You need the tongue and the tone, um, uh, but the background noise is a bit, um, uh, it, it's more, it'll be more of a preference that individuals want. And we can go into the numbers more because the numbers, as I uh, explained, I have all the numbers written down here. So if your audience wants to get nerd, nerdy here we can go into the values as well uh, i i i think i would love to get nerdy as well here so i'm yeah I, you know i i love the fact that how, how 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 much passion like i can see on the screen the listeners can't see it but i love with how much passion <laughs> you explain this and and you really see like you know it's much more than 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 uh, than someone explaining the science of the company here but uh, it's really you getting into <laughs> a field that you're very interested and passionate for and that i think is what um what is really beneficial for the listeners out there as well because you guys are are, are science driven driven you do the studies you um you really you really look into what the the, the product means uh, scientifically how how can people's lives improve with tinnitus and uh, having someone like you as a chief scientific officer I would say they've done everything uh, the right way and uh, it's just fantastic of you know like people always feel so left out with tinnitus so i think that um, hearing you talk about this with so much enthusiasm and people listening to this in the podcast hearing that there are people who are like really doing something in this field who devote their life to it i said it in the last episode again but i can only repeat it thank you for that and i'm sure that all the people who listen to this podcast really do appreciate that as well so Thank you for sharing and let's get nerdy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, Frieda, for the kind words. It's very, very nice of you to say that. And hopefully, uh, you know, I, I know sometimes um, with companies, uh, you know, there is always a concern, you know, kind of the bias and presenting the data and, um, you know, whether or not I've gone to the dark side with the company and all these things. Uh, but, you know, I, I am first most a scientist, a translational scientist. I'm a professor at the University of Minnesota. I take it seriously, um, you know, if you look at our papers, all the data is there. I mean, you have to ask yourself who actually publishes every single data point of all the participants. I mean, we have plots, it's called scatter plots. I mean, if people want, they can see exactly what the score is of every single participant we could collect data from, right? So, and, and THI and TFI. So it's all there. Uh, you know, people can make their own interpretations. I'm just summarizing them in those papers. And today too, we'll, we'll, we'll geek out here and we'll go through the numbers. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just to jump into it, I mean, it, give you some sense of the numbers here um, just to show you. I mean, we all know this is a major, major, um, you know, need and, and issue, health issue in our society. We right. did this study and then within a few months, we had five thousand five hundred seventy five people that went through our screening process in a short period. I mean, this just shows you how big of a problem this is and how much money is not being invested from federal and and you know a public domains you know uh, uh, industry yeah. domains investor domains yeah. so from that you know we had to do online screening i mean it's just not possible uh to handle all this and you know i have different criteria and so forth but we were eventually able based on uh, our inclusion exclusion and I, i'm not going to go here because those are very detailed uh we try to capture as generalized as popular you know population so we don't want to exclude too much with people you know who may have a potential risk that we just can't take a chance like seizures or if they have 
um, you know, some other health issues or even implantable electronic devices in the head. You know, we don't okay. want any interactions. Right. You know, these right. are all things that we've got to be careful about. Uh, so those are exclusions. But from that, we were able to get 191. And it was right. all done in a very rigorous, randomized way where we, right. and we you know, we, we, we um, allocate to the arms. And that's all written in the protocol paper and in the results paper. Uh, but from the 191 then, uh, we were uh, randomizing to these different arms that I mentioned. And as I mentioned before, we've got four arms in the study. Arm one is our standard for the first six weeks that's used, mm -hmm. PS1. And mm -hmm. then they get changed up to what we call, and I'm getting you know, all into the numbers and, and labels here, but it's you know, PS4 is what they get in the second part of their treatment, which is just a delayed version for the most part you know, of, of the PS1 during the second half, just to kind of mix it up, right? To, okay. to tell the brain, don't get bored of us, you know, keep changing, keep right. adjusting, and right. then you get you right. get that. So we actually had 79 people in that arm, right? And the second one, as I mentioned, we took out the background noise. So right. that's what they got background noise for the first six weeks. Um, we had 80 people in that arm. And then we want to change it up too. But we want to be creative. And this is something unique. We wanted to see what well, we took out the noise. But then we want to see what if you put the noise back in and take out the tones, right? right. So then right. you have tongue with just versus noise, not the tones in the second half. Would that be something that you mix it up, right? So that's what we did for those two arms. And then, you know, the third and fourth arms, we won't go into too much. I mean, I don't want to make it too dense. Uh, those are the exploratory arms I already mentioned before. We had some cord-like multi-tones. We removed the tongue tip and, you know, we saw greater performance when you add back the tongue tip. That's all in the paper. You know, we could get into that, um, uh, you know, if we want to, but that, that's all in the paper. So when we do this, oh, oh one last thing was um, we also, um, because it's important to do some subgrouping, um, you want to know that uh, what which individuals, what kinds of um, different uh, characteristics might benefit better from different parameters. Uh, from the first 10A1 study, you know, there was what we call the hyperacusis group. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not, we didn't do the whole battery of tests and assessments you need to claim it's, you know, hyperacusis, but we just basically measured the um, sensitivity to 500 hertz. A loudness discomfort level is what, you know, if you want to be more, you know, the term, terminology used in the hearing yep. field. Um, yep. And we, individuals who are sensitive to the 500 hertz, we had a subgroup of them. And then those who may are more severe have higher THI uh, and also unilateral tinnitus. So we did stratify, you know, randomize and divide them up into these subgroups. And we didn't present this because the paper's already dense, but we plan to present this in a future publication uh, okay. along with some of the other outcome measures we did. This paper covered particularly tinnitus handicap inventory, THI, and tinnitus functional index, TFI. So, so that's kind of some, some of the, the background information. Uh, let me pause there. Any questions before I jump into the actual results here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I found it super interesting. And I wanted to ask you just in general, because um, maybe it's just also to remind people of um, the selection criteria that you had at the start with the many people who applied and, and uh, the people that you actually took for the trial. Then um, what might be criteria, um, certain forms of tinnitus where um, you know that the scope of applicability is limited anyways? And where do I have to get into? Just to remind ourselves, because I mean, some of the people have listened to the previous episodes and some people haven't. And uh, the scope of applicability where you guys would say like, yeah, this is fantastic. You're the, per the, the person, to, person to benefit from. And um, uh, uh, definitely also um, someone who would very well fit into the trial. So what are the, the criteria? Yeah, could... very good question. So we kept it as broad as possible, um, you know, because we don't know the answer to that yet. And we want to have enough people so that we could do some um, sensitivity, you know, subgroup analyses. So we left it pretty broad. But key things that we were excluding are things that are more like objective tinnitus. I know it's a little bit difficult, you know, mm -hmm. to know what is objective or subjective, but mm -hmm. individuals who might have pulsatile tinnitus or tinnitus right. that's okay. you know, related to some vascular or, right. you know, right. ear, peripheral ear mechanisms, right. you know, th th those are not what, you know, those are more surgical or other manipulations. You know, yep. we believe ours is more related to brain plasticity. So that's right. what we're targeting. As I mentioned before, things that might be risk factors, you know, uh, you know, pregnancy and, you know, things like with implantable devices, as I right. mentioned before, seizures, you know, these mm. are things we don't want to take a risk in these studies. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. not to say they can't be beneficial. It's just right. that, you know, obviously we have to be, gosh, those who might have much severe hearing loss or device, 
Um, it's not to say it can't work with people with more severe hearing loss, but we just want to make sure they can hear the sounds uh, sufficiently. So we had to make sure limits with our headphones. Plus, we don't want to go too loud because that could also cause damage. So, you know, we, we need to be cautious there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. These are much more, I guess you could say, um, kind of practical as well as safety considerations. Um, right. We did one thing that was something we... Um, uh, it was more arbitrary, but still we felt, you know, we, we wanted to constrain was uh, in the first study, we did three months to five years because mm -hmm. we, we know that your brain over time starts to get settled in its way. So, mm -hmm. you know, we may not want to necessarily bring someone with 50 years of tinnitus because the brain may already have right. know, adapted right. to, to the level. Right. So right. We, all, we tried to keep it earlier on, but we found good results um, right. up to five years. So we expanded that to 10 years. For this study so that that is a, a bit of a difference from the first study uh adults you know that's something we just have to be cautious about because with right. uh children and so forth those are things that you know you just and and, and you know of course of vulnerable populations like in the us we would in those classifications like prisoners and you know other kinds of individuals that maybe cannot um uh, ha uh, uh understand fully uh, to the protocol so things are things like clinical trials you just have to do right i mean for right. the safety first yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so things like this. Th these are the yeah. parameters that we had to do. But for the most part, everything else we try to keep as broad as possible. Very interesting. Um, and I would like to, I mean, a lot of people uh, talk to me at the moment about uh, the issues with uh, somatic tinnitus, right? So when people know that uh, through head and neck movement, uh, CMD, and so on and so forth, they can produce the tinnitus. And I often tell them, look, it's um, it's a combination often, especially for uh, somatic tinnitus. You often have a baseline of tinnitus that you that you do experience, and then that um, gets uh, gets exacerbated through the issues with your spine, your neck, and and your CMD, um, and and that is something that uh, would that be um, a group of people or individuals that you would also include in your in your study? Totally, totally, and we don't yeah. exclude them. I, I forgot to mention, you know, if they had a major accident or. Right. A head and neck injury, whiplash, and you know the tinnitus mm. uh, came from that. We're a bit cautious um, about right. that, but for the most part, um, you know, we we include those with somatic tinnitus, if you want to call it in a simplified it's general a combination, way. anyways. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And and you know, I will say, research in my lab, but also Dr. Susan Shore and others. You know, some of the classic work uh, with the group with um, uh, Dr. Salvi and his colleagues in New York. You know, they they showed. Um, you know, some of these manipulations with somatic, um, you know, tinnitus. And so it would make sense that if you electrically stimulate the somatosensory system, that it could interact with those. So, you know, I, I think it might be, it, it could potentially be an interesting subgroup that could potentially benefit even better, right? We don't know, but it's something we want to look into. So we didn't exclude those individuals. Right, right. I mean, you are at the forefront of also determining with all these studies, just for people listening. I mean, it's not only limited to the vice that you're doing, but you're doing actual work that in the future, you could say, well, if we have this subgroup of people with somatic tinnitus, and we know that they benefit from this, but these people that we're also in our trial, well, if they also got, for example, um, physiotherapy combined with the bimodal neuro neuromodulation treatment, um, we found um, an increase in so and so many percent. So in future, you guys will be able to tell people like, look, there's another treatment that could go along if you experience these symptoms that could even potentially even further your benefit from the treatment that we're giving. So exactly. I, I want to tell people that this is not like a, like a cancer drug limited to the application of a certain type of cancer, but you can actually go much broader and, and, and start to sort of uh, uh, develop um, a sense or a taste for uh, what might be beneficial accompanying treat treatments, right? Yeah, totally. And I think of bimodal as even bigger than that because um, I, we just published in my lab. Uh, you may, I don't know if we're connected on LinkedIn. We should be later, but um, you know, be. my I'm lab. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we just published also in Journal of Neuroengineering. Um, we found this is a unique, amazing thing. We're always learning. Neuroscientists, brain scientists, we know what we don't, we don't know what we don't know, right? You know, it's kind right. of, uh, but we found that the somatosensory cortex, right? The somatosensory brain region, um, you know, obviously is activated with body movements and body simulation. But if you play sound alone, you don't activate much of the brain. But if you stimulate them together, right? Mm. Almost every cell we recorded from in the somatosensory cortex was activated by sound, was modulated by sound. And so people call it the somatosensory brain, but it actually isn't. 
It's a multimodal brain. Your entire brain is a multimodal brain. And we know that cells in the somatosensory brain or the multimodal brain uh, is involved with pain. And so you could imagine how much ability there is to stimulate these different modalities to, to drive treatments for tinnitus and for pain and for these other things. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to think about these different applications and also subgroups and kind of directions. You know, it's a very exciting field. We'll be right back to the episode in just a few moments. I want to give out another shout to our Tinnitus membership online community. At www.mytinnitus.club, you can access a vast catalog of resources that will help you to manage your tinnitus the best way possible. You can find resources on tinnitus management, tinnitus for sleep, tinnitus and stress, tinnitus and the best mindset that you should be in in order to tackle tinnitus-related issues. And you can access all that content, uh, get to know new members of the community, join our exclusive club for as little as $14.99 per month. You support the cause of what I do and you get exclusive access to so many different things that will help you to get a completely new approach to your tinnitus. So I will see you all at www.mytinnitus.club. And now let's get back into the episode. Yeah, fantastic. Very, very interesting. And um, now, um, but now let's uh, get into the into the uh, crunchy parts of the yeah. uh, the, the study, uh, the numbers, the the, the yeah. ultimate results, the hard hard black facts that we got from the study. Yep, exactly. So let's go through this here. Um, so we, I'm going to focus on arm one and arm two first. And okay. uh, if you look at the data, so arm one, remember our treatment is. 12 weeks long. And it would have been easier if we had slides here, but I'll do it verbally as simple, you know, simple flight as possible. Um, so there's 12 weeks and that's the treatment, but we want to assess things in the first six weeks because we're changing them up, right? During the second six weeks. So getting geeky here. I mean, the first 12 weeks, uh, first six weeks in arm one, we had about uh, 13 points. So 12.9 points improvement. I'll just focus on THI because everything right. get too messy with right. THI and THI. Right. Um, and actually THI is our, is our main outcome measure. Um, so 12.9 points, if you look at THI in arm one and 11.5 points, if you look at arm two. So it was a, a little bit better, you know, in arm one, but it wasn't significantly different. And remember arm one was, was our standard and arm two was without background noise, right? Um, and so re really, uh, it's, you know, they're both very quite effective. They're significantly effective, but no difference between. So, but that was still encouraging. I mean, within just six weeks, we already had about 12 points, right? For both of these arms. And remember, if you look at MCID or the clinically benefit seven points, you know, it's above that. Um, now, the cool part was when you actually then change the stimulation parameter during the second six weeks, whether you change the delays, whether you go to broadband noise, right? You can drive greater improvement. And okay. so we went from 12 to 19 points, right? 19, 20 points where you, you're able to drop it down. Now, what was cool about this was, yes, the second group, they could tell they went to broadband noise, uh, this noise burst, because tones and noise sound different. In the first arm, they couldn't tell that it was changing, perceived or not. I mean, they may have thought maybe it changed because they're coming back and they know that we're doing different stimulation parameters, but you can't perceive that. You're not right. gonna, many individuals who get the device now, when we change it from PS1 to PS4, they can't, they always ask, did you change anything? So they don't know. But even with that situation, we saw that extra boost in, in performance. So that was really cool. Uh, that, that was nice to see. That is, that we that is 19 points in THI improvement. THI improvement after 12 wow. weeks. Yeah. So almost three times the clinically meaningful benefit, right? Yeah. And that's, so that, that's that was exciting. So we went from about 12 to 19. That's like from 80 yeah. to 60. And 80 is like someone's really, yeah. really quite upset and stressed out about their tinnitus. And 60 is yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, moderate. They, 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 they're starting to get much better and they're seeing overall improvements in all areas. And that's that's very, that's that's impressive, right? 20 points is very impressive. Yeah, yeah, we're excited about that. And if you look at the uh, scatter plots, you can see the distribution. And the, remember in the papers, if, if you want to get more nerded, nerded out, um, all the points are there for all the participants that we have the data for. It's all there, right? right? So you can see which, how much each participant moved. Um, so that was encouraging, right? And then... If you look at the percentages, so I'm going to break down because the percentages get confusing. Uh, we analyze them in different ways because we have to, to try to get some concrete numbers, right? 
Um, if you look at those who are treatment compliant, right? Because they had to actually use the device like we asked them to, right? right. Um, and of course, they have to come to the visits because if they don't come to visits, we can't get the data. So we can't. We don't know what happened to people who didn't come to the visits, right? Right. right. So when you when you look at those numbers, ninety one percent had some improvement after the treatment after twelve weeks within their symptoms and their THI score, meaning that they did improve, right? Some points, right? Now, if you think about it, that's a huge number, 91%. Um, again, I want to be fully transparent and, and you know, honest here. You know, those included people who improved even a point or two, right? right. So right. you may argue there's fluctuations in there and so forth. So you have to kind of think about that. And I'll get to, you know, more, more subject, uh, more, um, I think, relevant ways to, to get at what is meaningful or not. Um, and then, uh, if you, or I apologize, I got the numbers mixed up here. Ninety-five uh, percent. Um, it was even higher than that. Ninety-five percent had um, twelve weeks treatment improvement in symptoms, and then ninety-one percent had improvements that sustained out to twelve months. Right. So you know, but again, these are um, just changes in THI score. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. if you wanted to be more critical, so if you look at the ninety-five percent and you mm -hmm. want to be more critical, mm -hmm. and you want to say all those people who didn't show up, right? They were non-responders because okay. they didn't come, so they must right. not have benefited. But I would argue against that because we know people who got better that didn't come either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You never, you never, you never know what the motivation for them was yeah, to not yeah. show up. Like it doesn't have to be that they didn't benefit. They could be like just, just life in general. You know the you yeah, know, just everyone life in knows general busy. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, 95%, if you assume that everyone who didn't show up got worse or didn't benefit, we would still be at 80%. 80%, even if you made that all the people who didn't show up didn't right. benefit, we had 80% had at the end of treatment um, improvement in tinnitus symptoms, right? So that, that was encouraging. Now, of course, those are just numbers of changes of points, right? And, and so then you have to ask, okay, well, Forget about all these THI scores. Many of your viewers may say, I don't believe in them. They're just numbers or points. They're artificial. To me, the most important question is just ask the individual, did you right. benefit from the treatment? Right. I mean, regardless of the THI score, if they say yes, then who's to tell that person, no, you didn't really benefit. <laughs> I mean, if no they sure. benefited, no sure. they benefited, right? So yeah. we just asked. And we had 70% uh, say they benefited, right? At the end. Now, this is getting geeky here, but 191 participants, we were able to get 172 to respond. So 19, you know, they didn't respond or they didn't show up or something happened, right? But 70% um, of 172 people, right, that we were able to get responded said they benefited, right? And then 88% said they recommended to somebody. So they may not benefit, but they felt that it was a good experience. Uh, it wasn't too burdensome. They would recommend it that it, it is so th that that was to us more meaningful. That means that eighty percent of the people were like, you know what, it's something people should try, right? right so right. I, I felt that was powerful. Now, of course, to be fully transparent to your audience, let's say that out of the one ninety one, right, one seventy two came back. You do the math: one ninety one minus one seventy two. That's nineteen people didn't come back. Right. Let's say all of those were non responders, right? I don't believe so, but let's say they're all non-responders. And we wrote this in the paper too. Still, even if you had the worst case scenario, 63% said they benefited, right? Mm -hmm. That's across mm -hmm. every participant. And 79% would recommend it, right? Mm -hmm. That's the worst case scenario. If you want to just be as critical of the data as possible, right? right? right. So to right. me, I mean, geez, right. that, that was that was pretty awesome results. I was happy about that. And let me quickly let me quickly one, one, one yeah. quick follow follow up question before yeah. I forget it. And we talked about the nineteen points um, uh, improvement earlier on. And why I why did I get so hung up about that? Because I I think that's a big improvement. And because if a person has a nineteen point improvement, they will say more than clearly that they had a massive benefit yeah. and a positive impact on their life. So how could we say like okay, let's say, let's say everyone between uh, ten and nineteen points, or everyone between. 10, yeah, 10 and 19 points. How many of those people had between 10 and 19 points? Do you have anything there? Do you know that? Yeah, so we, we do have data. Um, in 10A1, actually, what's interesting, and in 10A2, it aligned yeah. up with the percentage of people said that they benefited. So it was about two-thirds. Okay. 
Two thirds. About two thirds are in, in, in those ranges. And typically we didn't do 10 points. We did seven, seven points because that's the seven clinically points. meaningful. Okay. So seven right. points and above, uh, it's okay. about two thirds, but it lines up with the uh, question of just asking, did you benefit? Okay. So the MSAT right. actually does align pretty well, you know, with, with right. our exit question of benefit, right. but we, right. I, you know, we use it and it's important and it's actually a very good measure, but um, you know, there's still some discussion about it. So we just felt it's easier just to ask, did you benefit? And then there's no question of seven points or five points or 10 points yeah. or 19 yeah. points. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, yeah. that's the direction we went. Right. Okay. Well, I think that's very interesting. And I, and I, I, I think, and one of the biggest, um, uh, questions for me that 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 sort of uh, play a crucial role here is that when people get the sense that they would say they benefited a and b they would recommend it so it's neither um, neither a bad experience nor uh, nor they say like okay that it was hurtful or it it, it it kind of made it a little bit messy sometimes or something like that and and people say they a they benefited and b they could recommend it then I mean what what can you lose I mean you know you can try it out and and for sure you won't be you won't ever be able to cover all of the different um, uh, people and, and 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 the massive range of people who who do have tinnitus for so many different reasons you will never get to a hundred percent probably in no single treatment. Um, I, that's my personal belief. Um, mm -hmm. even, even if too. you look at all the, the hearing restoration projects, etc., we will never be at a hundred percent, efficacy. So my, my only, my only, my only question would be, so what, how does that make it, or, or how does it make it easier for you guys to maybe also, um, make your, your target group of the people who do have tinnitus, did you have a, a, a result there that you say like, look, like the people who are within my audience, um, we can really know that maybe in a certain age range or in a certain range of how long they've had tinnitus now. Um, and is there one clear group where you would say like, look, these people are probably the people who can um, have the biggest benefits and probably those are the ones who um, are uh, also the ones who would be most quickly to run to the stores to try out the solution, right? Yeah, uh, that's something we are we were hoping to find. Um, that would be so helpful for us. Um, but I, I would say it, it didn't come out that way. Um, generally yet, speaking, maybe. yeah, not yeah. yet, not yet. Right. Um, right. And we're still searching. Um, but okay. I, I mean, it, it's a matter of how much benefit you really need, right? Because we right. will find a subgroup. I do believe it at some point with enough data. Um, and those might be people that we can fully eliminate the tinnitus or even, you know, have 40, 50 points improvement. Right. But as I mentioned, even across the diversity, we had about 70, two thirds to 70 percent. Right. That benefited pretty well. Right. It's also a so, massive benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I think in that sense, I mean, it's just a broad application. Uh, and again, I think it goes to the mechanism of action, which is ba basically we're not solving or curing tinnitus. We're not um, eliminating fully the tinnitus loudness. Though many people say the tinnitus has, loudness has reduced. Uh, as I mentioned before last time, it really is about this Pavlonian conditioning, this mm -hmm. paired conditioning, you know, getting your brain to stop paying attention to that tinnitus, to, yeah, to that yep. constant obsession of the tinnitus. Yep. And so we're yep. just kind of massaging the brain to just think elsewhere. So whatever the cause was, whatever the subtype you are, the subgroup, right. it actually almost, if you think about the mechanism of action, doesn't matter because right. you're just taking your higher level brain and shifting the tension elsewhere. And that can be done. Now, of course, there's individuals who might've had a stroke or who might have other um, you know, TBI or blast injury or something like this. And those mechanisms related to the higher brain regions to enable that process um, could be compromised. So those individuals maybe might have less efficacy, you know, to be determined. Uh, but for the most part, you know, uh, most people should have, you know, that, that mechanism in place. Right, right. And I think that is uh, super crucial and important. And although, of course, um, it would probably be the wish of every company to find the target group that they can 100% 
um, uh, help the individuals because then you have 100% uh, satisfied customers. You have uh, uh, the best word of mouth out there. So all the customers are fully satisfied. Of course, that's a very beneficial thing. But on the other hand, if you think about it, um, it's it's even more beneficial and you can reach a much bigger group of people that you can um, maybe not always benefit 100% from the solution. And what you say is probably um, also very honest, like super honest. And I really like that, right? You say like our aim is not to cure tinnitus in every people, nor is it the aim to communicate that message to people that we're 100% curing every one of their tinnitus, but we're helping yeah. you to break free from this constant obsession of always checking back in, is my tinnitus here or there? Is it a five? Is it an eight? Is it a nine? Is it a 10? Is it a zero today? And then I go very happy. And the next day it's a nine and I'm super unhappy. Exactly. So I'm always exactly. back forth, back forth. So I'm giving them a tool to be able to say like, aha, okay, I can start directing my attention elsewhere. And this tool is doing that for me. And I can... Uh, try that out if, for example, other uh, uh, other forms of tinnitus treatment, TRT or sound therapy, um, have not worked in breaking that cycle of, of, of obsession, right? We all have our different approaches. I have my coaching program. I have my, my online learning platform solution and so on and so forth. And arguably, they can produce different results, but there's different yolks for different folks. And I would say yeah. it's yeah. super effective if you have one treatment that people can administer in the, in the safety and in their home without having to do... Um, without having to do um, a, a, a massive run to certain places yeah. always. So I think that's a, a big, big benefit. And although, of course, it would be it would be quite helpful probably also for the company to find that one specific group, um, I think it's incredibly valuable to communicate that message that you're helping a large group of people and a lot of people can benefit from it. And some groups um, you might be able to isolate in the future that will benefit uh, more clearly and uh, some other groups that uh, might benefit with additional treatments, what we discussed before, maybe in cases of somatic tinnitus, and that you guys really have a, a, a good grip of how and from which angles to, to attack these different subgroups. And that's, that's great. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. I mean, that, that is definitely, you know, I, I totally agree with you 100%. Awesome. That is, that is fantastic. That is, that is uh, some good results, I would say, overall. That's very promising. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, obviously, it, you know, um, it's always challenging because these studies are hard to do. It takes a long yeah. time. People always ask, where's the data? You know, we have to go through all the data and, and analyze and publish. But, you know, we're happy to get it out. You know, it came out in a, a really nice journal, uh, Nature Scientific Reports. Uh, so we're, we're happy that we're continuing these rigorous journals. There was the real world data from Germany also came out in a high tier journal, Brain Stimulation, and they were able to get consistent findings. So it's nice, you know, 10A1, we did results, 10A2, we got consistent, even better results. Uh, Hanover Medical School, you know, Emaha from uh, the yeah, yeah. real world yeah. data got consistent results. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all very encouraging. I mean, I, you know, repeatability after repeatability, right? So... Yeah, and I mean, uh, the, the group is growing and, and, and it's incredible. If you look at, for example, the numbers of people who consume content related to tinnitus, the keyword tinnitus on YouTube, you see millions of people on these platforms every month. Um, yeah. So the people are there, the people are in need of, a, of, of different kind of solutions, right? And we're not even saying that there, there's one particular solution, but um, there's, there's millions of people who are in, in a dire need of results and, and help from, from whatever help they can get. And, and, and I, I believe that, that um, your biomodal neuromodulation and, and the, 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 the treatment can, can bring to that, that to, to a large group of people as well. How is the, how is the, the, the US uh, certification process going? Anything you can say yeah. at this stage? We, we can't. I mean, it, it, as okay. always, we can't, but uh, it, we're always, working hard. Working hard to do the yeah, FDA. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's always a challenge because, um, right. you know, when these results come out, it's very exciting and we, we can't provide much in the US. And so I get so, I get contacted a lot and I feel yeah. very bad that, you know, we, it's know. not available and options. So we, we, we try our best. Yeah. 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 I believe that that is quite tricky and hard. I remember in the startup that I was working in, in the, in the hearing industry to um, when we finally had a, a, a medical device certification in, in Europe. And we were very happy about that, about that hearing test uh, uh, application that we did and uh, trying to do, replicate the same in the U S was a little bit more tricky. I remember that. Yeah. 
solidify. Yeah, to, but but we're yeah. we're positive, optimistic. You know, we're we're working hard. So, uh, you know, we we got to get this to the U.S. and other places in the world, of course, too. And and that's that's the plan. I get emails from other countries, and I also feel bad because you know we have to do it in a serial fashion. We're just you know still I mean, we're more of a mature startup company, but still startup company. Uh, limited right. resources and bandwidth. Exactly, and step by step, right? Um, I mean. It's the the sentence from uh, what they say on the airplane. Please help yourself before assisting others. Yeah, if guys, yeah. disappear from the screen before the treatment is accessible to everyone. Then uh, uh, the help is not there for the people. So it's it's important. That's that right. You, Very good analogy. Homework properly that you get everything set up in the per correct way, and then you can also start helping um, as many people as possible to have them benefit from your treatment and your solution. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. Um, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you something um, just uh, maybe off topic a little bit and we can uh, decide whether we will have this in the podcast episode or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I, I, I think yesterday I read something on LinkedIn. It was a study between tinnitus and the microbiome in the gut. So something new about neuroinflammation and uh, tinnitus. What is, what I mean, and, and from what I understood is the, the cause. So if you Let's say um, if you have uh, a, 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 a noise exposure, hearing loss, a kind of inflammation situation, and then for some reason they were linking it into with some some GABA inhibitors and so on and so forth. And I can't really trace it back what exactly it was now. I would have had to have the study right now in front of me. But um, it, it was very, very interesting what they shared. But I, I thought this neuroinflammation kind of theory was... Can you can you allude a little bit on on what your thought about this is because it's a very confusing yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know that study, um, and yeah. I'm not as familiar with the um, neurotransmitters or the connections or synapses yeah. um, of the neuroinflammation connected tinnitus. But what I will tell you uh, is, not surprisingly, the body is interconnected, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you you say that, and everyone's like, "Of course it is, right?" Yeah. I mean, your heart. Your right. immune system, your gut, your brain, you know, your right. lungs, everything works in a concerted way. And the inflammation is key to many things in our body. Uh, if you have a stroke, if you have right. spinal cord damage, if you have some insult of hair cells, you know, whatever it may be, um, your body's going to react. And a lot of times it overreacts and it has overinflammation and overprotection. And right. over defense mechanisms, right? And as a result, it, it somehow hasn't um, over time optimized well in injury states. That's, you know, the brain adapts well, but in, in more severe injury states, it doesn't adapt as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we know, with tinnitus overcompensates, right? So I do think the future of medicine is really trying to figure out how do you treat the brain? How do you modulate the brain? But how do you also regulate properly the immune pathways to the neural system? How do you affect your gut? How do you affect your diet? How do you affect mm. your heart flow and blood mm. flow to your system? Mm. All mm. of these mm. things, right? Mm. Uh, mm. Oxygen levels to your to your system. It's all, you know, metabolism. It's all connected. Mm. Um, and so that's why my lab right now, 50%, and your audience may not know this, but 50% of my lab is dedicated to modulation of the immune system and actually neuroimmune pathways. And so that... I see the future is you're going to combine, combine neuromodulation, right? Nervous system mm. stimulation with immune mm. modulation, with stress relaxation, with mental, emotional methods, all these things. And that's going to be a very um, multimodal approach to therapy for all sorts of things, tinnitus and beyond. I think that's super, super helpful, you know, because I, I, for me, it's incredibly difficult as a coach to work with CBT and acceptance and commitment, right? To really literally be able, able to support and help people to um, to try at least and, and, and reach similar results, which is leaving that obsession behind, right? We talk, I talked a lot about this in my podcast about um, using ACT for, for spider, spider phobia yeah. or insomnia. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's in incredibly beneficial in these areas as well. The tinnitus is a little bit more difficult because it's a little bit more subtle, right? It's not that spider yeah, that you can see in exactly. the room, but it's in the background and sometimes it's more annoying and sometimes less 
But if you if you know learn how to manage your feelings and um, and and learn that you don't have to consistently buy into these feelings and and follow the same uh, path of habitual behavior that uh, uh, that uh, takes the whole cycle the spiral down to you reacting to tendencies in a certain way, which leads to the fact that your subconscious and your conscious are, are yes. fully aware constantly yes. of your tinnitus all the time, releasing those extra stress hormones and then making you feel extra bad. Ergo, you really have to do something about your tinnitus. It's really dangerous for me. Yeah, right? so exactly. That in itself is this dangerous cycle that we need to break. But, you know, for me, it's incredibly difficult to tell people, hey, um, I mean, neuroinflammation might play a role in the time in which your tinnitus is acute. But it's not the fact that you have a constant massive inflammation in your brain, which is the big devil sitting on top of you, which is super dangerous, because that on top is another topic that people ask me, but am I having a big problem? Is my brain really inflamed everywhere because of yeah, tinnitus? Yeah. Is that really dangerous? And will I uh, develop a tumor or will I die uh, for in one or the other case? You know, because yeah. that is adding to the fire, that's fueling their reactivity, and that is making everything more difficult. And for me, you know, who is someone, a coach who works with asking the right question to getting that yes. person to realize, okay, I'm I'm buying into a sort of truth that I think is true to myself about tinnitus, but that is actually very unhelpful. And if I learned how to manage the, the core beliefs, the feelings, and also the absolute worst case scenarios, which in fact are often much less bad as people always make themselves believe, then a sort of freedom emerges from that. But I, I think that, you know, sometimes, and this is, I think, where you, uh, with that massive scientific background, um, uh, the company uh, Neuromod comes in with um, all the study and the data and the data-driven results that you get and that you that you give out there that you can really, uh, that I can uh, come back and, and ask someone like you on my podcast, hey, Schubert, what is your take on this? Because I'm a coach, I'm asking questions, I'm trying to nudge people in the right direction, but you are the people who actually do the scientific work to find out how the brain really works, how the brain reacts to this, and how can we inhibit that, and how can we give people a positive outlook based on scientific results? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I like the way you put things. I mean, I, I totally agree, and that's where it's always nice to be on your podcast because we we resonate so well. Uh, and, and I think in your... Well, maybe your past life or your new life, or maybe still this current life, um, you, you should be an academic researcher. <laughs> I, I, I think I was a little bit too lazy. I was too much at the, at the SOMEC and too little at the library. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. That's maybe the yeah. reason for why I, I did not become a researcher. I did not choose to become a researcher. And I just love working with people. That's another thing. Um, yeah. And, and, and I mean, you obviously also work with, with a lot of people, but I, I like the the one-on-one the -on -one work with people. But yes, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued. And that's why I love to have this podcast. So I get to pick which researchers I, I can I can pick the brains and, and really ask them about all the, the technicalities. Yeah. So that's why it's fantastic to have have you on this podcast again, Shubert. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, obviously, you know, in the future, more than happy to do more podcasts with you. I always enjoy it. Uh, we have nice discussions and uh, as more data comes out, you know, happy to share. I'm sure we will have you back. Um, if there's anything you would like to share with the, with the listeners to, to today still, then uh, these are, these are the, this is the room for some, for some final words that we can address to the listeners. Otherwise I would, uh, yeah, already again, thank you so much for coming on um, and uh, for, for being on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's so insightful. I think um, people can learn a lot and I'm sure it helps a lot of people also to calm some initial anxiety down, right? There's people who do something, there's people who understand understand this and there's people that you can that you can access and then also uh, in future solutions that we can be can be accessed in pretty much all parts of the world yeah th thank you so much it was a great discussion fantastic thank you so much Robert, and we'll have you on back soon in the podcast thank you yeah thank you very much for tuning in i hope that has been an insightful and relevant episode for you i'm super happy to be able to uh, announce the spot sponsorship of this podcast um, from the neuromod linear company um, it's been a crazy time many ups and downs um, but this is a lot of lot of good and positive news for the podcast for the continuing of the podcast but also for the fact that we have such a relevant uh, sponsor um, in the tinnitus industry who believes in this podcast, who believes in what I do um, and that we're uh, strong as partners. So 
yeah, I'm very excited about this. I hope that has been helpful for you as well. And if you are interested in finding out more about what Lanier do and um, what the common, there's a common website that you can check out. It's www.lanier.com forward slash outering. That's L-E-N-I-R-E.com forward slash outering. So I hope that this has been beneficial for you. I hope to see you in the next one. If not, um, please make sure that you check out um, our frequent uh, live community events or directly check out the community as advertised as well at www.mytinnitus.club. You can join an exclusive online membership community. We are about 20 people now. We're growing every day. Um, more people are coming on. We positively support each other. You meet people who share stories from their own path of habituation. We are a very positively focused uh, group, so no negative uh, uh, online forum vibe here, but only positive support. And I am a person who guides the community, who answers the question. We have uh, weekly live events in the community where you learn how to manage your tinnitus successfully and where you get the support and backup from other people who are doing just the same. A huge thanks to Linear Neuromod, the whole company, Hubert, um, Neil, and all the other people who have been working hard to make this uh, sponsorship happen. I'm very, very grateful and very happy to have them as sponsors. And I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening to the Outring Tinnitus podcast. I am looking forward to also welcome you on my website at outringtinnitus.com or if you have any questions, please mail to frida at outringtinnitus.com. See you next time. Thank you.